standard issue for all women. Hey, hey, and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. Mickey here with a new resolution, right, to spend less time investigating my perceived flaws in the mirror and indeed comparing myself to, well, anyone really, but particularly those deemed beautiful by the problematic beauty standards that have plagued us for decades, if not centuries. Yeah, yeah. I have hope at the moment, but let's see how that pans out. I am helped in my resolve by this week's CHOPS guest, award-winning journalist, beauty editor and broadcaster, Anita Bagwandas. Anita's new book, Ugly, Giving Us Back Our Beauty Standards, explores how the Eurocentric beauty ideal thrust upon us by capitalism, white supremacy and classism is making so many people, women in particular, feel like shit. If that all sounds heavy and enraging, it's worth noting that Anita writes with warmth, wisdom and, crucially, humour. It is a cracking page-turner of a read. Still enraging, though, like. And you might be listening thinking, well, the solution to feeling ugly, in inverted commas, or like we don't fit into the beauty standards that currently exist, is to just ignore them, to opt out. And it is a solution, absolutely. But the insidious nature of what we're sold as pretty and how demeaned, even demonised, those considered ugly find themselves means that's not going to work for everyone, and it will not stop the subconscious biases held by so many, and some conscious biases too. That is very much on purpose, because ka capitalism rules, right? Right. It also ignores the joy to be had in beauty products, and yes, I say that because you'll have to pry my favourite red lipstick a slash of colour on a grey day from my cold, dead hands. Anyway, enough of me wanging on. Anita's written a whole beautifully researched book on the subject, and I was chuffed to chat to her about it here. Hello, I'm joined on the Zoom by award-winning journalist, beauty editor and broadcaster Anita Bagwandas, whose new book, Ugly, Giving Us Back Our Beauty Standards, had me nodding along furiously, shaking my fist at the sky and promising myself for the umpteenth time to tell problematic beauty standards to jog on. Anita, hello. Hi. Ugly is both deeply personal and yet a very outward looking book. How did it come about? Yeah, it's, I guess it's an interesting story. It, I mean, it really started when I was young and just having a strong sense of feeling ugly my entire life. And that really shaping so much of how I see myself, but also how I, you know, my entire career as a beauty journalist and my obsession with beauty products and aspiring to be beautiful, I guess. So, it, yeah, it came about via that. But the, the real in, sort of guess the incident that triggered it was I used to do sort of a weekly column with some other colleagues on a team that I was on one of the magazines I worked on and our faces would all be sort of together in a line and it was in print and then it also was on digital as well and somebody wrote on the digital version Anita Bagwandas is really ugly I mean I was really sort of like hurt by it but also I think because I was pictured next to my two colleagues I was like wow that's so specific someone has singled me out and said that I'm ugly and it said everything I felt about myself but in obviously a very public domain and yeah, it really stayed with me, that word. And I just kept thinking about the power that word has over us. And then eventually I sort of yeah, dug into a bit more and realised there was something very interesting about it. And then, it, yeah, it did become a book as well. <laughs> it is an excellent book that I've already recommended to a lot of people before chatting to you on the podcast, which, you know, usually I keep my powder dry, but it's so, so good. And actually, we come from different yet very similar work backgrounds. You've worked on the beauty pages of many huge titles. And I started my journalism career in men's magazines. 
So it's kind of helpful in that we've both seen behind the curtain all of the work that goes into making those images perfect in inverted commas. But it's also problematic because of the ideals that those magazines we've worked on perpetuate, right? All this means you've got much more than the average experience of the beauty world. But was there stuff you learned while researching Ugly that still surprised you? Yeah, there was. I mean, there, yeah, I, I talk about a lot of the beauty, you know, the beauty industry and the magazine industry and a lot of those sort of things that you maybe don't get to see if you don't work work on those magazines. That's sort of like hidden stuff. Mm. The stuff that you sort of gossip to your mates about, you yeah, know, totally. in the pub. You're like, oh my God, this thing happened today on a shoot. But yeah, I, I, yeah, you do you do have a big insight into it. But there was also so much that I uncovered because the book is really historical as well. And I think that's one of the things that really makes Ugly different it, because it does have a strong historical factor. There was so much that happened in the past that we're either repeating now and it comes through in cycles or, you know, you can just see how it has a direct, I guess, legacy on our beauty standards now. And I think that that just blows my mind that something that happened centuries ago is still a beauty standard now just mm. because it's been perpetuated. And that for me was, I guess, one of the sort of reasons I wanted to write the book because I could see that through an interest in history. I was like, wow, this is wild. I think if more people knew about this, it would make them feel a bit better about, or, you know, just a bit lighter about the way they feel about themselves and take a bit of the pressure off them. Exactly. Because even with our backgrounds where we work in it and we see that, you know, that there isn't a perfect... I vividly remember a conversation our art director had with our editor where he was asking, should I airbrush out a mole that... It was Beatrice Dahl that, that has got. And my editor said, don't worry about the mole because her tits are so big that they'll get distracted, right? And it was just like, wow. But being part of that and seeing the insidious nature of it didn't make me feel better about myself, which you would maybe think it would do. And and I think you've had the similar sort of feeling, right? That even though you have seen behind the curtain, it hasn't necessarily made you feel better about yourself because those Eurocentric beauty ideals are so woven into the fabric of western society yeah it doesn't make you feel better about yourself yeah it doesn't make things easier that you know the truth because you've seen it it's really tricky because i think unless you are someone who sits so so far outside of society you are a part of this sort of organ you know we are part of cultures and you can't not be affected by it and i do think to a certain extent i think particularly on sort of women's magazines it does attract people who maybe you know, potentially have an issue with how they look or, you know, like, and that's not everyone, obviously, I'm not going to generalise, but, you know, I definitely, there are a lot of people who struggle with how they look or maybe aspire to look like that or maybe wanted to uphold that standard as well. I think that is another big thing, which is, I think is interesting. Yeah, I think it definitely attracts certain people. But yeah, it didn't make me feel better about the way I looked, that I could see that there was lots of manipulation, etc. sadly. So let's talk about that Eurocentric beauty ideal, which comes courtesy of capitalism, white supremacy and classism, the standard triumvirate of stolen power. There they are. (laughs) There are hugely important reasons why we shouldn't be nonchalant about the use of the word ugly or simply dismiss the world of beauty, aren't there? There are, absolutely, yes. Our sort of current beauty standards and the beauty standards that have been in place for a very long time do come from a place of I guess of whiteness, essentially, you know, that's that's their founding, their founding father, their founding principles. 
and anything that sits outside that is then considered ugly. So there is a very direct link to that. And it, it's something we gloss over, you know, partly because we don't have the time to think about it in the day or, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily have the education to unpick those things. And that isn't a dig at anyone. That is, well, it's a dig at our education system yes. <laughs> that sort of gloss, glosses over these things. Because, you know, unless you go and seek out these things, we aren't taught about colonisation. We aren't taught about, you know, Britain's role in that and in slavery, etc. So we don't know how, I guess, our systems and our values were transported around the world and the impact that had. I think it is almost just like looking a little bit harder at trends and the things were presented and almost just thinking a bit, a bit deeper about where they might come from. So, you know, that is why I did include a lot of history in the book, because I think there is a bit of a knowledge gap that we do have. And like, I include myself in that, you know, like I, I knew bits and pieces from things my parents had told me about colonization and like how that had impacted India, which is my heritage. But yeah, until we know much more about the extent of that and the very specific implications of that, I don't think we can really see it. So they are very linked. Yeah, incredibly linked. And the history sections within Ugly are really interesting. There was stuff that I knew, but like you say, only because I've been out there and read around it and worked in certain industries. And as a journalist, I think we are like, oh, where does that come from? And I've have that curiosity. So it's really great to see it all in one place. And it was still really shocking, even though I knew bits of it, it is still really shocking to see it all in one place. And one thing that really struck me is that even by its self-serving standards, the most beautiful woman hasn't... um ever really existed not according to the male gaze so even Helen of Troy was a composite and what we've been sold is impossible for all and damaging for a lot of women isn't it yeah absolutely there's sort of this ideal that you know cosmetic surgery you know might have this ideal of what somebody perfect would look like and quite often we're sold that by a I guess it could be everything from like Love Island to like as to plastic surgery and you know what we're being told that we need to fix etc but no that perfect beauty doesn't exist because beauty is you can't quantify it it's it's so subjective and it's one of those things I wish I had known that at a younger age because I think that would have changed so much for me particularly growing up in sort of the 90s and Mm. I mean there were lots of awful periods in time for appearance and the rules that it put on women in particular but yeah, I do feel like, I guess, because I lived it, the 90s was really bad for that. There was one way to be attractive, there was one way to be beautiful. And if you didn't fit into that, then you were ugly. It was, it was almost like you were in or out. Yeah, totally. This is all on purpose, right? Before Naomi Klein went off the deep end, don't know where she's gone, she made the excellent point in 1990s, the beauty myth, as did the still excellent, still there, Susan Faludi in 991's Backlash, that beauty work, keeping up with Helen of Troy, keeping up with the Gibson girl, keeping up with the Kardashians, is a time and energy suck for women trying to get ahead in the world. And rejecting the beauty norms we've been sold for decades, for centuries, isn't an easy process and that is on purpose isn't it yeah it's not easy at all because if you think about it everything is conditioning us to want to be young you know to want to look you know what to want to be beautiful which you know is young thin you know and all these other sort of qualities and yeah you know that obviously somebody benefits from that and that is obviously capitalism so yeah is there's a lot set up to keep us in the loop it's really hard to go against the grain it's why so many people don't do it and that isn't to say that you have to reject all beauty products or anything like that if you want to do that that's amazing and you probably would feel a lot better about yourself you know like you'd probably feel great but I think there is a sweet spot where you can 
enjoy beauty, engage in some beauty things, but it is about doing it consciously. I'm, I'm really careful to not use the word mindful because I think that it's hugely overcommodified, but yes. and it's like you can literally do everything mindfully, but it's having a consciousness about those decisions and just sitting with things a bit longer or thinking about having injectables. It's taking a little bit of time to think about that before you do it and do your research and you know think about if there's anything else at play because I think this is a really big thing in that we you know something else might be going on in our lives that is making us focus on our appearance and think that if we fix that then that will fix everything So yesterday I put up a post about having silver hair uh, because the Daily Mail had run an article saying that women with, who grow their grey in had given up. And I put a picture of me going, this is me giving zero fucks that the Daily Mail thinks I've given up. And then I washed my face and I put on four layers of hope in a jar and I felt bad about my belly. And I was like, oh, it's just so insidious, isn't it? It's just so hard to get our brains over it. There's a great section in Ugly where you basically lay out a conversation that you have with yourself when you're thinking about, do I need this product? Do I need this treatment? Why do I want this? It's really lovely and it's really funny and it's really candid. And it made me laugh and I really related to it. So I wondered if you could share with the listeners a little bit about your process when you're feeling, do I need this hope in a jar? How you deal with it? Yeah, it is. It, I want to first acknowledge by saying it's really hard and I definitely cave into those buys. But I think on a basic level, it's a lot of money. You know, products can be a lot of money. Gadgets can be a lot of money. Injectables, whatever it is, it, it's a lot of our money. And I guess from a beauty journalist perspective, I just want people to be happy with the things they've bought and bought into. And, you know, and so what I do is I give myself a time buffer. So the example I give in the book is of like a facial gadget that I was convinced was going to take away these sort of nasolabial folds is what they're called. But they're, they're sort of, I guess, like laughter lines around your mouth, yeah. which from doing loads of videos and stuff and lots of filming, I've become quite aware of. So I was like, I thought this gadget was going to change my life. And I was like, cool, OK, I'm going to give myself a break. I'm going to like, you know, really examine. OK, so why do I want it? And I sort of went through that process. Why do I want it? Because. I have spent a lot of time on camera looking at myself and I had to think about that. And I was like, okay, so that's not really natural, is it? And it doesn't, it's not something that happens all the time. And I sort of had to rush. It's almost like just asking, it's like probing and probing and probing until you get down to the truth of something. Mm -hmm. And basically for me, I sort of probed that question. Why do I feel like, why am I really focused on this? Why do I feel like I look like, you know, tired or et cetera? Why am I so focused in on this one thing? And I sort of just realized actually in that particular example that I didn't have enough joy in my life. I didn't like once you probe and probe and probe, it's actually quite often about something completely different. And I just had focused in. I, I was just working too much and looking at myself and my camera too much was one. I, I didn't explain this in this way in the book, but yeah, I was just looking at myself too much. And I think then I I was like, oh, I could give myself a buffer on this. And you know what? If I want this gadget that was like 300 pounds, whatever, I could come back to that in, you know, a month or whatever and just be like, okay, do I still want it? Because quite often, you know, we do impulse buy and I'm terrible for that with ADHD. It's quite a big ADHD issue, but you sort of have to just give yourself a buffer to go, okay, do I really want this? Come back to it in a month. If you still want it in a month, cool, get it, you know. But actually within that time frame, there could be other things that you could do to make yourself feel better and change your mindset around things. So for example, for me, it was 
those sort of lines around my mouth were making me feel like I looked old and then I was like oh okay so what issue do I have around that and so then I switched up my feed and included some more like some more mature women who I thought were cool and like you know like dressed in an alternative way and there's this one woman I'm really obsessed with who's a goth I think she's in her 60s she's fucking amazing (laughs) um so (laughs) like I just changed my feed and like it gave me a different narrative on what old was Mm -hmm. and what feeling old was you know like I was really inspired by these people I was I was looking at on Instagram and I was like no this is what I needed to do I needed to change this up and then you can also do things like spend a bit more time with someone who's a bit older and like you know a bit more we're just just very inspirational or you know watch like is it Frankie and Grace, isn't it, on Netflix or whatever it is. It's just, I think it's just about seeing more examples of whatever it is the issue that you're dealing with. And that could be anything, that could be weight, it could be grey hair if you want to go grey and, you know, just switch up your feed to see lots of lots more people and it just normalises things for your brain and it makes it feel like it's much more regular and it's not a big issue. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly what I did because between months three to like nine, I wanted to put my head in a bin and set fire to it. It just was not a good look. And the other influences that you have to kind of try to shut out the noise are the people around us of an older generation. My mum was very much like, you're not worried you're going to look like a skunk. And I'm like, I'm accepting that I'm going to look like a skunk for a bit. My friend who is British Indian, her mum was furious with her when she grew in her silver she was like well what about your sister's wedding and she's like my sister's not even in a relationship I don't understand where this pressure is and it's remembering that particularly with our mums or the the older women in our life the pressure on them has been enormous as well yeah absolutely I I particularly think women of sort of the 70s and 80s who you know were sort of you know I guess like a lot of people's parents and I guess for my mum in particular was 70s and 80s that was a really tough time for women mm-hmm. and it was a, you know it's the first time that women were really sort of coming into the workplace in a sort of equalish position to men and there were a lot of pressures on them in that time in particular as I sort of outlined in the book there was so much really toxic advertising aimed at women to get them to buy more to get them to try and almost like distract them from the fact that they were going after careers it's Absolutely. really wild the eight like advertising in the 80s and I did a lot of research and I looked at a lot of old adverts in the 80s is so awful it's really really toxic and it is yeah it's aimed at trying to get women to sort of like it's almost like here's a formula that that lasts all day and it will help you work all day but also be really sexy and it's like you have to do everything and you have to be everything to everyone it's it's really bad so yeah they had they had a lot of toxic conditioning and a lot of like the diet stuff so awful in the 70s and 80s particularly in the 80s the calorie counting I think you know, like I've got so, so many friends who, you know, their mums hold being slim as the barometer of success in their lives, mm-hmm. then hold their children to it. And yeah. that's not to blame them, but it is to recognise that that's a pattern and a generational trauma that is passed down and passed down and passed down. So you, you've got to be aware of it to break it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember my mum going, why are you such a funny eater? Why are you always so bothered? And I'm like, because that's what I grew up with. Like, she was constantly on a diet, constantly. So, you know, of course that went in. Of course I saw that and thought, oh, well, that's what I have to do because I adored my mum and wanted to be like her. And it's such a hard one to untangle and unpick, isn't it? Uh, There's a lifelong project for all of us, hey? I wondered whether you would like to see the term ugly ditched as a descriptive term for people's looks. It's almost less about the word ugly, even though that is obviously the name of the book. I think, yeah, it should be ditched because beauty and ugly, beautiful and ugly, pretty and ugly, whatever it happens to be, they don't exist because they're such arbitrary terms. You know, it could mean anything and they probably shouldn't exist. 
but I think the way that they're used in the mainstream it is a Eurocentric beauty standard and yeah they shouldn't exist but I just think and I, I mean unless you dismantle white supremacy and capitalism and everything else that feeds into it I just don't know if that will ever happen I think the most important thing is to think about yourself and to dismantle it for yourself and like really dig into what you think is ugly and that's quite a confronting thing mm. and quite a, a tough thing you make the point that you know we are trying or a lot of us are trying to dismantle capitalism and the patriarchy and white supremacy but I, I do feel like it's quite a big job so starting with ourselves is the easiest and at the same time the hardest thing to do yeah but it is really worth just sitting down even with a journal for a bit and just going okay where did my first beauty standard come from what was the first thing that I remember thinking was beautiful or being told was beautiful for most of us that is what we see on tv or it's our dolls and quite often that's a barbie doll or it's you know it's that sort of thing so it's just worth thinking about that and then just almost like going through your life and like thinking about you know who was the prettiest girl at school who was the pop star you wanted to look like you know just going through and charting those things and I think once you do that and you have a bit of a timeline, it does really make sense to then link to how you feel and can almost see the through line to the sort of standard you hold yourself to. And I think that can be really helpful. It is confronting because, you know, on top of that, there might, I don't know, for example, you might have had a sister that everyone fancied and that was really tough. Mm. Or, you know, you might have had a parent who was always dieting. So all of those things feed in. But I think once you look at that and unpick it, it can be really helpful to just see, actually, no, I wasn't born thinking that I had to look a certain way to feel beautiful this was something that was put on me and it, it I was conditioned to think this and I think that's a really important distinction that you know beauty standards aren't facts they are created and I, I think because we're so in it and it's all around us we just forget we forget that that's the case beauty standards aren't facts chef's kiss love that love it <laughs> Ugly is published by Blink and is out now. And Anita, I am hoping you're having a bit of a lie down and taking it easy for a while, you know, actual self-care. But is there anything that you've got in the pipeline that you want to tell us about? Yeah, I am just trying to catch up with myself a bit. But I will be at Bath Festival and I think there are some more. You can keep up with all of that on my Instagram. It's probably the best place. At It's Me, Anita B. Amazing. Anita, thank you so much. There's only so much we can cram into an interview. So it is worth pointing out that in Ugly, you also cover the effects of Instagram filters, the rise of cosmetic surgeries, the ridiculousness of the term tweakments, what? and much more that we haven't managed to get to here. So yeah, listeners, do grab a copy and have an eye-opening, if enraging, read. And Anita, thank you so much for chatting with me. No worries. Thank you so much. Standard issue for all women.